0: I'm in a tiny room, sat on a noisy chair with a mic that picks up everything. So let's see how this goes. I'm going to make a phone call and if it works, I shall thank the gods. And now a personal favourite of mine. Stay right here for another instalment from Documentally. Hello. Harriet. Hi there, how
1: are you?
0: I'm really good. I'm good because not only can I hear your voice in my ears, there's a a couple of small bars on the uh, recorder that are moving, which leads me to think this might actually work.
1: Okay, I was going to say, where else do you hear it other than in your ears?
0: Yes, well, not in my dreams, because it's been a (laughs) long time. How long...
1: (laughs) Well, I don't know since you sat in my office in Jordan probably, oh, 150 years something like that. I
0: would say. <laughs> 2007. So 14 years.
1: Was it? Do you actually know when it was? 2007. When it was? 2007? Well,
0: if I was in <laughs> Jordan, that mm-hmm. was probably the last time I was there, and I was only there for the UNHCR, and I believe you were. You were quite high up in the charity, in fact, in, in, if not running, the charity Care. Is that right?
1: That's right. I was, yeah, for Jordan, Lebanon, and Syria.
0: You can tell and, how much research I've done for this. I'm going for my long-term no, memory.
1: Um, well, you, you can see how much research I've done for this as well, because I can't remember what date it was. <laughs> and you were with Phil, and we, we press-ganged you into doing some photographs and chatting with refugees on our programme, as I recall, which was wonderful.
0: Yes, Phil, still an amazing writer, doing less journalism, mostly surfing off the coast of America, if you've lost touch with him.
1: I have lost touch with him. That really surprises me. Yes, I always think of him as long and lanky, and I never think of surfers as being long and lanky. Last spoke to him, this is going to sound like an old codger from, Oh, I last spoke to him in Antakya. Wow. We met up in Turkey when we I was again working with care, trying to help them think through how you best set up a program which is essentially preparing to break international law by crossing country boundaries. And he was there, as Phil always is with his finger on the pulse, looking at what was really going on both in Syria and in the, with the relationship with Turkey at that time and those at the beginning of what we thought was going to be much shorter and has become very protracted and desperate
0: absolutely and yeah. even back then the desperation meant that I wasn't going to go there with anybody other than Phil I trusted <laughs> his um, paranoia to be at least on par with mine and um, <laughs> after excitement with secret police in other parts of the middle east and a, a brief stint in iraq it was uh, felt like going into somewhere that was i don't know seriously in trouble and um like you say still is um we didn't fix anything came away as ever having worked and documented and captured and shared and there's always that kind of well i guess it's better to do something than nothing and yet um i you made a difference, didn't you?
1: Do you know? I think, I expect so. Um, I think the difference that in, international NGOs make is often not what they put down in paper for projects and get paid to do, but um, it's it's a, a it's um it's an orthodoxy that can wobble sometimes. But I do think that. The work that you have with your teams, the way you engage with teams, it is a crossing. You know, there's a lot of discussion now about, oh, what are all those international people doing, leading these programs and doing? And I have a lot of sympathy with that. But also what is wonderful about that kind of work is that people from all different parts of the world come together in all different nationalities of teams look at problems together that really transcend the national boundaries because they are rooted in human suffering and I think there's real merit in in that coalescing of energy so I often think that with the teams that you work with you have huge impact and then they're then working with people and I'm absolutely convinced with you know, the refugees that we work with in Jordan, that for many we made life bearable enough to think about what what might the next step be after you've lost everything. And that's important.
0: Absolutely. In such a strange um, strange situation for many, being in that kind of no man's land and not having the paperwork to do anything and relying very much on people like you to hear and believe um, their, yeah, sp- their exactly. stories.
1: Yeah, hearing and believing is really it's critical and also the thing the thing that about that situation i remember a really uh, strong memory we had a visit from sort of the great and good of one of our charity donors the irc actually and jim Wolfenson was with them um, he used to be head of the world bank and then went on to be the middle east combo envoy anyway he came with a group and before being a big politician and a key figure, he had at one point, I believe, wanted to be a professional musician. Anyway, he visited our centers and they went to visit you know, the homes and it was a miserable cold day as only winter in Jordan can be sometimes. And they were very moved by the deprivation that they found families living in. But then they came back to the center that we ran and in the back of the center, was a group of Iraqi refugees who were also musicians making music with other people around and enjoying themselves and one of them was a violinist and he made the point about the bizarre juxtaposition of himself at one end of the building with his privileges and his visiting of this place and his continued interest in music And at the other end, music being used to revive and restore from someone who had lost everything. And that was just a really strong, it stayed in my mind as, you know, life deals with some interesting cards, doesn't it? And some people win and some people lose. But hopefully the intervention of organisations like CARE and others can help perhaps build some bridges for people to get across to the other side.
0: Absolutely. I mean, do you miss that part of the world? You're based mostly in the UK now, aren't you?
1: Yeah, I am. I I came back for personal reasons. I'm married to someone from Sudan, as you may remember. And so we live a funny life, actually, because he's based in Sudan. So I do go, but I, I do go what's happened in the last year. Um, but I, I was going back very frequently to there. So sort of keeping a foot in Sudan, which is also another place that. We could talk for many hours about you said so this is gonna be a short chat, how yeah. long
0: it cost? <laughs> Let's get to Oh, that. don't let me get on to um <laughs> the adventures in uh Khartoum with his book Tahir and um huh. the trouble we got into when we got back to England. That's that's another podcast altogether, I guess.
1: Oh wonderful. Well yeah, I could fill really you. Regale you with stories of times in sudan i mean it's a country that i love to my core and it frustrates me to my core also but so i am based in uk i'm a coach i i provide a, a executive and team coaching to organizations like like care and others you know nonprofits mainly and some social enterprise work but um so yes it is but i just i kind of see it you know it's another country and they're all interesting
0: yeah Absolutely, I keep getting asked what my favourite country is in the world, and you can't help but <laughs> think of the people, no matter where you go, and and yes. the similarities between every place: happy people, sad people, privileged people,
1: generally quite funny people. Yes, we're all we're all a bit weird, aren't we? So that's okay. <laughs>
0: yeah, definitely. So, with coaching at the moment, how much of that is actual therapy? For me. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I just can't help but think that as we come to hopefully the end of this chapter of of this particular part of the pandemic um a lot of people are going to coaches who are really therapists right now is it the same for organizations or do they just want to fix things financially and
1: Well okay so the you know the orthodox question is is not therapy I am not a therapist I'm not trained to be a therapist Uh, you know I don't delve as a coach I'm not going to try and psychoanalyze why is it that your nose twitches when you answer the question you know what is your name kind of thing but coaching can definitely be therapeutic and I think you know I did some work at the beginning of the pandemic with just making some short video clips for a an organisation about how small charities might manage better in the unfolding situation where suddenly there was separation and people were at home and working from home and the cat would step on the keyboard halfway through a meeting or the baby would cry or the milk would boil over or as your own podcast or, or you know, I really enjoy your your missives talking about how you fit the school lunch in or what it... I love that one about your kid coming and saying, oh, we've got to produce... A meal in the next half an hour or something <laughs> I was like oh yeah I remember that kind of thing <laughs> yeah so uh I think that at the, be- at the beginning I was talking very much about you know when you find that your entire team is working online and at a distance and you haven't seen them the the prerogative is not to check up on people but check in with people everybody is finding this difficult and different mm. um and you th- i mean cast your mind back to march last year how much we didn't know that we now know mm. about what we didn't know it begins to sound like hague don't i but um we had no clue as to how long it was going to go on for or how deep it was going to affect our capacity and our incomes and our even other capacities, I'm I'm very interested now in as a coach seeing the changed feelings in this second part. Or well, what are we on? What are we on? Version four of lockdown. I can't remember actually. But um, when at the beginning it was very much rallying the troops and clapping on the balconies and being together and you know carrying on with our choir practices or learning French and and now it's much more about French. <laughs> Who are they even? And there's a much, there's much more resigned, more of a struggle. I, I heard one of my clients recently saying, "You know, I've just got my head down. I've just got to try and get through this." Mm. And it's, it is shifting. So, um, and so what, as a coach, I think creating the space for people to talk about those emotions without trying to add any analysis. Um, just giving space to it and perhaps asking the questions about, well, what might a different way forward look like for you and what might you do towards it, but without, without furthering the pressure that people already feel that they're on. So it, it's less that it's about therapy and more that it's about being sensitive to the fact that we're all learning how to do this together.
0: Yeah, and you're dealing with people who, are already in a position where they are hopefully if everything's going right making the world a better place in a lot of what they do i'm wondering about the shift in values of some of those organizations and some of those groups who are now taking a step back and thinking about whether or not what they do is actually as important as it's made out to be
1: yeah that's an interesting question i i I think that leaders are, I mean, when you're in crisis and I think what the pandemic has done for many places, I mean, much of, much of Africa is much less affected than we have been. So in fact, in Sudan, for instance, thank goodness, because they certainly don't have the medical facilities to deal with a, a major outbreak, has been relatively unscathed from a fatalities point of view senses that people have had the disease and haven't died of it but i'm no scientist so and i so that's off the top of my head um but you know kenya has seen far fewer numbers and there was a lot of talk about oh they've managed it much better and maybe that is true that they have managed it better but i think they probably were lucky in reality and the and and so that the pandemic hasn't hasn't had the hundred thousand deaths plus that we that we have had but nevertheless the pandemic has had other ramifications for them in terms of the potential of shrinkage of economies that used to fund work that they did, for instance. So the the, um, the non-profit organisations were already looking at difficulties with funding. Recent UK aid cuts are really going to not only have implications for how Britain is seen in the world, but also what work can actually be done. So that's a different crisis that, that they're looking at. Then on top of that, places like Sudan are seeing ongoing political disruption, which and climate change is another major area that is impacting on uh, people's ability to to see into the future and think about food security in the future. So whether it changes the values, I, I suspect is it's not that it changes values, but it, it does give leaders pause for thought in terms of what is the most important thing we we need to do not just for today but for the people we will serve tomorrow what are we missing
0: yeah thinking that kind of long term is very much ignored at the moment i think
1: yeah and and it's ironic when you think that actually i think it was and there are a number of people that predicted this pandemic in 2016 Mm. um now, 2020 hindsight is always lovely, isn't it? but the, But the reality is that good leaders have got their eye on some of this stuff and are asking those questions. and as a coach, that's the challenge. You, you always need to ask beyond beyond the today what's important to ask about tomorrow.
0: What are you looking forward to tomorrow?
1: Hmm. Uh, what am I looking forward to tomorrow? What day is
0: it tomorrow? <laughs> or tomorrow's tomorrow, you know. <laughs> yeah, I know.
1: But it is like, what day is it? what month is it? <laughs> yes,
0: see what you're saying. I'm living in stasis. I mean you can tell by the fact that I mean, you subscribe to my newsletter and it always and you support my newsletter and it always surprises me you know, people who, like you, very busy doing amazing things, why have they got the time to listen to my narcissistic missives? And missives are a good term. I quite like that because it <laughs> it's a throwaway to many, but unless you get into the minutiae, you, you don't kind of realise that we're yeah. all connected with these well,
1: uh, missives. Yeah, I really like them because they come left a feel. And I suppose, I suppose what your missives do for me is um, they're a bit like having a drink in the pub with someone I haven't seen for a while. <laughs> And uh, which is not surprising, given your love of of beer. uh, (laughs) That keeps cropping up.
0: I don't drink as much. I just write every time I do drink. Although I did just throw away three whiskey bottles that have been in the cupboard for, well, one of them since 1999, because it was a whiskey bottle I bought at the end of some big Adventure, and I, for some reason, I get sentimentally attached to the empties. So I thought, <laughs> no, this is getting ridiculous now. And obviously, three neighbours saw me throwing away three whiskey bottles.
1: <laughs> probably some poor chap, poor
0: chap. Yes. He a lot of time it. <laughs> It's a hard, it's a hard time for everybody. They're thinking, but that's some expensive whiskey he's drinking. Yes, it's, <laughs> it w- wasn't that old when I bought it. Yeah. So what?
1: Yeah. So what do I like about your missus Is that they are a, a breath of of, of air about something else you know something and and uh and and that's a nice break because you do need breaks from the focus on the stuff that one's clients don't do all the time mm. and the reality is i don't spend so much time on on transport so i've actually got bits of time that i never had before
0: no that's great and that, that is uh, interesting i wish i could manage it better uh, you know mm. there's probably some kind of coaching tip out there for me to uh not procrastinate. It's having a thousand unfinished projects that I think that I can just pick up at any point and then get sucked down some hole. I do make lists now. That's 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 a pretty good thing that I know people have been doing for thousands of years that oh. I've recently discovered properly. I let my make lists and then I leave them somewhere and I forget about them, but at least it's written down. <laughs> I
1: love a list and I love a found list. It's like finding a twenty pound note in a pocket.
0: Oh, yes. There's more in my list than there is in my diary, and I diary every day. I diarize every day, and I look oh. at it sometimes. This happened, and this happened, and this happened, but the list says more.
1: So, if you were to look at the list, which I imagine is somewhere in your shed, wherever you are. I have a picture of you in the shed. I don't know if you're in your shed. I'm sorry. Right
0: I'm in a tiny, tiny room in the house because the shed is is creaking so loudly with the winds we're having at the moment. So I'm in the the tiny little room that I sometimes write the newsletter in if the weather is horrific or if the house is quiet. So I'm I'm currently in this. And that's why the echo. I've actually put a pillow up against the wall in the hope it will help. But uh, And the here. printer has been making weird grumblings. <laughs> I do have a list in front of me and it starts with eBay stuff. I've taken up two chairs in the living room with things I need to sell, radios and other such technology that I don't need anymore. Uh, Order stickers, which has a tick next to it. I have some stickers ordered for my uh, motorcycle uh, club, the Hells Nerds, uh, Mm -hmm. and um, my radio club, uh, the Crows. Um, Sort Scrivener. For some reason, I can't get Scrivener to work on something. Um, fit a radio in the car. I'm going to scribble that out because I, I don't need to do that right now. Uh, they program radios. Take, get my bike MOT'd. This is obviously not as, um, no. tale telling as I thought it was going to be. <laughs> Clear phone. It's, it's, this is something that's on a list all the time. My phone is always full. I got the, the 500 odd gigabyte phone. I never have any space on it.
1: So I thought, um, so that whole missive about my life is controlled now, everything is in orders, that was just a lie, right?
0: And there's no control. I'm putting putting it down on a piece of paper makes me feel I'm the boss of my life.
1: Right, I'm going to read them differently now, because I read them with envy and think he's organised all his files. Oh
0: my God. <laughs> no, he's just there. That, um, drunken... and, and this is the same list I've transferred <laughs> Um, you know, from from to do list to to do to do list. So, the, and... tell me,
1: okay. Before I answer your question about tomorrow, how does your distract your set of distractions, procrastinations, and lists serve you?
0: The same that I think my weekly email serves you. It's escapism, and I I can be very present and in the moment. I tend to pick jobs which are mindful and i can just meditate i guess
1: Hmm. and what are you not doing that you'd like to be doing
0: studying mathematics um because my math is terrible and i really needed to get my next license so that i can operate radios globally Apart from some of you the, need, the places you work, you need in. to do
1: mathematics to operate their ideas locally. And uh, no,
0: internationally. Yeah, I've got, I've got my, I've got the t- first two licenses, but the advanced license knocked me for six. I did write about it in depth on how much of a failure I felt when, without any, <laughs> any revision, oh, I remember, I, yeah, I, remember that. I didn't yeah. pass. Which now I realise the course is four months long, and the fact I just thought I could waltz in there and and. Um, guess the answers it didn't work so so I've, I've literally just took delivery Maybe of a calculator
1: you've learned something that Matt Hancock has yet to learn
0: oh don't don't <laughs> yeah. to mention that so name. My,
1: tomorrow, you asked me a question <laughs> yes. about what if tomorrow if you know I would um so I am truly looking forward to getting my vaccine I'm truly looking forward to carefully being out there again hmm. um I very very much want to see my family in Sudan again but seeing the family in London would be kind of nice I'm based in Leith in Edinburgh so just uh, seeing the, the kids in, in London would be nice and those are my tomorrows
0: wow and they are mm. just... and then I
1: have longer I have a longer tomorrow which is the big one for me is that I would really like so if any of your listeners are fellow coaches and interested in this stuff I would really like to see how we use, I'll call it the discipline or the service of coaching to generate better conversations with people who need to find a way forward. And I'm thinking then about all the work I've done over the years with uh, international organisations and thinking about, we call them the beneficiaries of our work, which is always a bit, or it doesn't really sing to me but thinking about how if you were working in a project in sudan and you could really for instance and you could really engage people in a dialogue where they found the solution that they wanted and that the organization that was funding or could partner with those on this on those solutions was similarly organized to support that dialogue i reckon we'd all do better so that's my long-term big life plan haven't not sure how to get there but that's well you've, the deal tomorrow
0: you've thrown the question out there and it's a noble mm. question so where mm-hmm. can people reply to you or find you should they have an answer
1: at
0: tophatcoaching.com tophatcoaching.com twitter
1: uh well i am on twitter as harriet no i'm on linkedin mainly
0: linkedin yeah i i, I I don't see you pop up on Twitter uh, ever. Oh. So I, I, this was why you get so much done, obviously. That's another one of <laughs> yeah, my... Procra- I call it research, but it's just procrastinating when I'm on Twitter. It's,
1: and Yeah, and it's a dark place, Twitter, I think. I just end up... At the minute I see the words Piers and Morgan in one sentence, <laughs> I'm out of there. I just think, no,
0: I can't do any more of this. I, I, I do also put the phone down, but I saw Piers more gone. And I just smiled and turned it off. Instead, I thought, right, quit while you're ahead.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it is very much like that with Twitter. Quit. If something makes you laugh, so, you know, like a Mark Steele intervention or have I got news for you, that's about as much as I can do. End on a high.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. And that's, that's, yeah. that's perfect timing for us to end on a high. Well, I yeah. want to say thank you so much for being a supporting subscriber. But more importantly... For doing the work you do, that I got to see 14 years ago for the first time.
1: My pleasure, and really nice to reconnect with you. Take care, and keep those missives coming. There, love you, yeah, wonderful.
0: I'll do my best. Thank you so much. <laughs> bye Speak bye to bye. you later, Harriet. Bye bye. Documentally, I'm still here. I know, I'm trying to leave. That's great. I enjoyed that. Who am I going to phone next?